This episode of Bass Freaks is brought to you by Dunlop Bass Strings. Dunlop Bass Strings are made in California and designed by the players at Dunlop to sound and feel the way a string should. With deep lows, strong fundamental punchy mids, and articulate highs. Dunlop Bass Strings offer a complete line with standard nickel and stainless round wounds, flat wounds, and super brights. They're also available in short, medium, and long scales. So go to jimdunlop.com and check out Dunlop Bass Strings. What's up, my friends? Welcome to Dunlop Presents Bass Freaks. We're back, and this is a place for all of us bass freaks to chat it up, gain a little insight and inspiration, and have some fun with some great bass players. I'm your host, Josh Paul, and today we welcome Trevor Dunn to the show. Welcome, dude. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for doing this, man. And uh, let's talk about some of your history. And I, I know you've done some crazy-ass great music. I love your playing, by the way, but I know you've probably <laughs> done you, some... You wacky wacky stuff as well um working with mike <laughs> yeah. Patton and right mr bungle and tomahawk and you have your own stuff yeah, going on yeah. right so so tell yeah, me yeah 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 it's getting it seems to be getting wackier too as i go so <laughs> I, I love it man i love it <laughs> tell me uh how you got started playing bass uh first of all my older brother was playing guitar i was i was playing clarinet in the band you know in in grammar school um I guess I was uh, almost 13 when my brother, you know, I mean, those, those around that age, he started bringing home Kiss records and Blondie and he, what else did he have? Ted Nugent, Elton John, you know, all kinds of stuff that I'd never heard before. And um, he was playing guitar and, you know, he was just, you know, as older brothers often are, you know, he was a influence and, um, I mean, Kiss was a big influence, and I just decided I wanted to play bass, even though I wasn't really sure what it was, or I just knew it was a little bit different than guitar. And since he was playing guitar, I figured I'd play bass. And it ended <laughs> up being kind of the perfect instrument for my personality, you know? <laughs> Got it. How do you so, mean? How do you mean? I mean, I'm not a front man, you know? I like to sit back with a drummer and just, you know, and, you know, let, you. let the singer and the guitar player deal with the fame and all that stuff, so. Um, <laughs> Got it. And um, he, you know, turned me on to all the right guys. You know, Stanley Clark was one of the first bass players that I checked out, and, of course, Jocko and Bobby Vega, all these guys. You know, I didn't, you know... Um, yeah, he was just throwing all the stuff at me and I was trying to learn as much as I could and started, you know, kind of getting into jazz in high school, played in the big band there and um, just kind of kept going. Who else is on the list of some of your influences? Uh, Stanley Clark. That was, that was, think, think, that's, I think this, that's what I said. My, one of my, my first bass teacher who was a guitar player turned me on to Stanley Clark. He was one of the first guys. Actually, his, his live record, I Want to Play For You, is one of the first records that I ever owned it was my own record you know which i still have double vinyl it's kind of a weird record but um <laughs> that's awesome yeah was that like the uh was stanley clark like the the holy shit that's what i want to do moment yeah kind of i mean you know it's i mean he's playing a lot of like piccolo bass and tenor bass and he's playing a lot of melodies and you know playing you know doing his school days things with the fifths you know yeah and um and I mean, I didn't know what any of that really meant, but I just, you know, he was, seemed like such a badass that, and then of course in the, one of the inner sleeves of the record, 
um, is a picture of all of his bases on this staircase. That picture is still, I love that photograph. It's amazing. Very, very, very cool. So are you, um, are you an educated bassist, my friend? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess you could say so. I mean, I went to, I ended up going to college and getting a bachelor's degree in, in performance. You know, I know how to read. Um, and I, you know, a bit, of, know a bit about orchestration and, I write. I play a little bit of guitar too. I I write music on mostly guitar and keyboard and also bass. But um, yeah, I you know I like studying scores. I'm kind of a geek that way. You know, I like I'm really into like 20th century music and 20th century composers, like new contemporary classical music. And and um, I like studying scores and seeing what's going on, trying to figure out what's going on and. Um, yeah, um, but of course I also play. I'm not a. Uh, I'm not a, um, a snob about it. <laughs> Obviously, because I play with people like Patton and, and Buzz Osborne, neither of who know what the fuck is going on in music. <laughs> Dude, I I saw um, both Tomahawk and Mr. Bungle um, some festival years ago, I believe, uh-huh. and I was just blown away i was like what in the hell is going on right now this is awesome <laughs> it's so killer so killer yeah those uh, bands i mean I, tom Hawk in particular that was a band i really love playing live with because it's i mean it, it's it, it's actually really easy i mean there's some night there's some cool little twists and turns but it's a one of the few bands i play in that i can really just kind of kick back and rock out you know on stage you know and and it's just play the bass you know and phantom Oss, on the other hand is a whole nother beast yeah um, that's just a the huge uh unsolvable math problem <laughs> is uh would you say that well obviously it's pretty challenging but um what what challenges you I still practice um mostly what I practice is upright bass and I still practice you know really basic technique you know scales and arpeggios i mean it's kind of a never-ending uh struggle with that instrument and i've always kind of you know set set my standards pretty high for myself and and really you know i look up to these classical bass players who can shred bodicini and stuff like that and and i'm always kind of trying to aim for that but i you know i don't think i really have what it takes to get there but but at least the the goal is still there you know as long as i still have this unattainable goal i'm just going to keep trying to get there (laughs) always always growing man that's awesome yeah absolutely absolutely that's what to me that's what life's about is always learning always you know um you know, I still need to work on my ear, you know, I still kind of, you know, try to hear things that I couldn't hear before or, you know, um, always testing myself, you know. Um, so, yeah, a lot of things challenge me. <laughs> Amazing, dude. What was your first, uh, I guess, pro gig? I, I think my first pro gig was um, probably with two of my high school teachers who um, – took me out of class one day to play like the at the you know veterans hall or something for an afternoon gig and paid me 50 bucks to read through a fake book and play you know one of it was me and another student who played drums and then my main teacher who played saxophone and uh another teacher who played piano and um we had they just got this gig and they decided to hire a couple students and 
Um, and before I graduated from high school, I was playing in this kind of like a Latin jazz band. Um, the main guy played vibraphone. It's like vibraphone, guitar, congas. I was playing fretless bass, actually. Very cool. Um, and we played a New Year's Eve gig. And that was the first gig I ever got paid $100 for. And I I mean, when they told me I was getting a, the, that the gig paid $100, I assumed it would, meant the whole band. But oh. uh, <laughs> I, I actually cool. made $100 myself that night. And I, you know, it was amazing. And I, I kind of never looked back. I, not long after that, I quit my job at a, at a pizza place. Um, and joined a, a different bar band, and that's how I made my way through college. Was just playing in bars when you know when I was like seventeen. <laughs> that's awesome. When um, when did you go on tour for the first time? My first tour was the was with Mr. Bungle. Um, we did a in '91. We did a short kind of West Coast, just just California tour. We played like from like San Francisco down to San Diego. It was probably a week long or something. And then the following year in after our record first record came out in 92, we toured, we did a like six weeks in the States and um, yeah, I was 23, I think. And, and it was, that tour was mayhem. It was, um, we were just, I mean, there was no, there wasn't really any drugs or alcohol involved. It was just a bunch of young, you know, uh, testosterone fueled lunatics playing our own music, you know. <laughs> and fortunately, we had we already had a certain level of recognition because Patton was already had some a level of fame with Faith No More, and of course he wore the Mr. Bungle shirt in that video, right? So people right. were wondering who we were, which yeah. was great. I mean, shows were sold out; people knew our record already, and. Um, so it was a hell of a way to start touring. <laughs> yeah, were you? A, I'm sorry, were you a founding member of that band, or or did you jump on? Of Mr. Bungle, yeah, yeah. yeah. We started okay, in yeah. high school, yeah. Okay, awesome. Very yeah, cool. me and me and Trey and Mike and um and another drummer, this guy named Jed, started it um when I was a senior in high school. Awesome. I've always dug yeah. the um sort of um reckless creativity that all of that stuff includes i yeah we kind of just didn't you know we listened to all kinds of different music and didn't really adhere to any rules about what we were supposed to do or we i mean we weren't trying to make a pop hit or anything we were just kind of approaching it like we're you know composers like hey let's how can we write how can we take these elements of all the music that we like and do something with it you know i don't know we that's I'm what it's sure. all uh, really. That's what it's all about, especially you know, as a, yeah. as a band or as any musician. Just, yeah, I just want to play, man. I just want to put something cool together. That's, totally, totally. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> uh, speaking of that first record, how long did it take you guys to do that from from uh, start to finish? We well, we knew the music really well because we'd been playing it for a long time. Uh, I think we recorded the basic tracks in like probably two or three days and then just started dumping, you know, we've got the bass and drums tight. And this is of course all on tape, you know? And, yeah. Yeah. and, and, and then, I don't know, we spent like maybe, I want to say a week or two, probably two weeks in the studio before we started mixing. And then we spent a good, like a day per song mixing it. Okay. Um, yeah. 
do you prefer as a have you been able to score much have you gotten into that uh yeah a little bit i mean i actually i just finished um a couple days ago i just finished mixing my new record which is um uh kind of actually i i'm gonna just you know um pump myself up here a little bit it's one i feel like it's one of the best things i've ever done actually congrats Um, on that thank you thank you it it was it it was a long process making this record actually several years because i wrote a whole bunch of music for it a few years ago and then for this ensemble and then i just didn't like it so i basically tossed the whole book and started over and then um trio convulsant with a drummer and a guitar player and um then i basically to that group i added a chamber quartet so it's like bass clarinet viola cello and flute and um and made this septet record very very cool and it's i mean that's a lot of work there's a lot it is it is and it's a lot to be responsible for you know and like it's the biggest group that i've um led myself you know i've led a trio before and i've Mm -hmm. led you know quartets a few times but this is this is a lot of music to be responsible for and and um so it was it was a big uh step for me do you have a release date set for that not yet it'll probably be in the fall um it's going to be on um this piano player chris davis who's out here on the east coast um started her own label a couple years ago called pyroclastic and she's going to put it out and so hopefully it'll if i get the artwork together we'll it'll be out in the fall that's exciting man again yeah yeah yeah, that's what's your approach to uh some of the writing process um you know usually it starts with just messing around you know um sometimes i'll be practicing you know i'll be practicing bass and all of a sudden i'll stumble on an idea and i have to stop practicing and write it down and you know so i've got like scraps of uh, all over the place of little ideas um other times i'll sit down with a guitar with a specific idea in mind um i definitely try to write on other instruments so that i don't fall into my same kind of muscle memory patterns um you know, a lot of my favorite bass lines I've written on keyboard or something, you know, or. Oh, cool. Um, okay. Yeah. Like, it was like, oh, I never would have thought of that, like on bass, you know, so. Oh, yeah. That does give you a different approach. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's true. That's as long interesting. as it's not impossible to play. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that always helps. Uh, what, um, uh. I, I'm intrigued by all of this, everything that you're putting together on this, because there's um, not only a lot of technical technical knowledge that is required, but I mean, what kind of influences were there for this record? Oh, um, actually, there's one record, there's a specific record that really kind of made me think about taking my trio, which is kind of guitar centric it's really it's guitar bass and drums but just by the nature of the instrumentation it kind of is is guitar heavy you know got it like the guitar player mary halverson is you know she gets the majority of the solo. i write the majority of the solos for her and and you know it's very the you know she's playing most of the melodies all that kind of stuff um but uh i was listening to this um paul desmond record who's a um saxophone player used who played with dave brubeck um and um really one of my favorite jazz um alto players 
and he's got this record um uh with a it's like with a small orchestra and a, and Jim Hall playing guitar and i just really like the way it kind of it's it's centered around you know the the main instruments the guitar player and the saxophone player but there's you know there's strings and harp and all this stuff and there's a lot of records like famous records like that like you know charlie parker with strings um there's a west montgomery record with with strings um anyways i just kind of felt like oh man that'd be cool to take this trio that i've done stuff with before and give it a new give it a new give it a facelift basically and and present it in a in a expanded way so I mean, my in, my influences musically run the gamut from, you know... It sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, from, I mean, I go see noise shows it, and, and I go see classical music and jazz, whatever. I mean, you know, my mood changes all the time, so... Well, so tell me some of the highlights of your career thus far, you think. I know you're excited about this record, which is sounds refreshing and... and uh, exciting and freeing in a way from yeah. the way you're describing it um but as far as being on tour were there any moments where you're like oh this is just perfect or where you <laughs> felt uh damn it i've made it <laughs> um well i've never really had that feeling like that i've made it necessarily i mean i i am successful and i and i do what i want for a living so I guess in a way you could say I have made it, you know, um, I mean, I, I like working and I like, you know, I think my, I don't think I've ever been on tour and had that feeling. I think my, my, um, moments of, um, of, of feeling of success or something when I'm actually home and sitting at this desk where I'm sitting right now and creating, you know, those are, that's kind of my, the place I want to be. And I mean, touring, I've done a lot of touring in the past 30 years and, um, it's not my favorite thing, you know, no. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot of things I like about it, but I mean, it, I'm, let's I'm, go, let's go through the, let's go through life as a touring musician. All right. Oh what's, God. what's, what's well, the, uh, typical day? travel is probably 80% of it, <laughs> um, which is the thing I loathe the most. Uh, you know, it's, I mean, it, it depends what kind of a tour it is. It depends if it's, you know, sometimes I go to Europe for a week and I'm just taking trains or maybe I'm just flying to a couple gigs. Other times I might be touring in a van in the U S for a month or something. And, uh, most of the time it's with people that I like, um, in fact, uh, you know, uh, a requirement for me saying yes to a gig is, is I got to like the people, you know? <laughs> right. And, um, uh, so how do you, how do you navigate that? So say there's a, there's a tour that you're on and, and maybe there's somebody that you're not really jiving with. Um, well, even if it's, even if it's a tour with people that I, you know, like friends and people that I really, you know, admire and, and get along with, like, I still need my alone time. So I'll just, you know, occasionally I'll just, you know, if there's a day off, I might spend it alone or just go out to dinner by myself or, you know, stay in my room and order room service or something. And just, just to kind of recalculate and, you know, and, not listen to other people and not have to make group decisions and that sort of thing, you know, and, and, and also not hear other voices. I mean, that 
kind of thing starts to wear on me after a while. So I, you know, also another important thing I use to navigate that is um, noise canceling headphones. Ah, you know, <laughs> yes, that's a good idea, and I need to get some of those because yeah. <laughs> so you know, you're sitting in the van and and you know I've listened to music or whatever and um or or you know radio shows or podcasts or whatever um just to just to so i can because i'm living in this bubble you know it's important for me to every once in a while at least pretend like i'm stepping out of that bubble you know and just to maintain my ident my own identity <laughs> i get it man i totally yeah. get it so thus far in your career um what still excites you what is what is keeping it fresh oh man um I mean, I'm always, I still buy records. I'm still, you know, trying to, um, you know, pay attention to music that I have never heard before or go, I'm, I'm actually going to see a band tonight that I've never seen before. I'm excited to go see that, going to see some live music. I haven't, obviously in the last couple of years, I haven't seen a lot of live music. So, yeah. Um, yeah. How has that I mean, been for you, by the way? What's that? How has that been for you? How have you been uh, sort of... It's been okay. I mean, for a long time, I didn't, I wasn't really missing it. I wasn't going, you know, speaking of touring, I wasn't missing touring. I wasn't missing being on airplanes and having to schlep gear around and, you know, (laughs) worry about if I can get my bass in the overhead, you know, on an airplane and all that. Um, So it wasn't so bad. And then the first time I played live, you know, last year, it was, I almost like, well, to be perfectly honest, I almost started crying because I couldn't, it was a really small audience, but, and it, it was playing with a band with a bunch of friends who are all amazing musicians. And I, it was just, it felt incredible. I'm like, man, I can't believe we're doing this, you know? And I kind of got emotional, you know? Also we were playing, it happened to be when we were playing Tennessee Waltz, that, which is a very kind of sappy tune, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, Musically speaking, what would you like to do that you haven't done yet? Oh, God. Um, I think I would like to write for a a really large ensemble, like an orchestra or something. Um, Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. 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 I I put out uh, a couple years ago, I put out a record on John Zorn's label, Zodic, of um, my chamber music, you know, so I some solo piano pieces and a string quartet. Um, and a uh, piece for string quartet and bass. Um, and um, uh, I'd like to do more of that, right, for different ensembles, right, you know, and then right for more other small chamber groups, but also a lar- like a large orchestra would be cool. But that, I mean, that's insanely expensive, first of all. And also you can't, it's not something you can just do. You kind of got to get like the right people on your side for that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, if I was a millionaire, I could probably hire an orchestra or something to just play my music. But you know, right. um, you know, it's a whole other it's a whole other world that I'm not really involved in. So, um, let's talk about gear. I'll warn you, I'm not a huge gearhead. I usually play whatever's there. <laughs> the okay, venue. all right. Well, that's that's cool too. What's although, you, what was your although first I do bass? have my bases, my favorite, my you know, I have a small collection of bases that I love. So, okay, what was your first bass? My very first bass was called a Hondo. Um, I know, I know the Hondo. Yeah, that's really? awesome. Yeah, you know what mine was? <laughs> mine was a Hondai, 
which yeah. I didn't even know they made bases. Wow. So yeah. yeah. So you how did what was the uh, Hondo uh, four string right? It was like a P bass type thing. It, it was um it was a double cutaway right. dark brown with okay. uh with um uh one humbucker or not a humbucker it had a two two uh single coils I guess or whatever you call them um uh and uh yeah I I had that bass for a couple of years I guess um and then and then I got an Ibanez um. Uh, what was that bass called? Proline, which wasn't a uh, kind of a odd um, series of theirs. I didn't. I don't think they continued it, but it was a pretty cool bass. It was. Uh, it had um, really fat threat uh, frets on it, um, um, and which I liked. And um, you know, it had a small roundish body. Um, that's the that's the bass I used on um, the first Bungle record. Awesome. And um, most of our demos, actually. Um, uh, and yeah, I probably used that. Did I use it? No, I don't think I used it on the second record. But anyway, I, I still have that bass. It's in my uh, mom's house and I still mess around on it. I think it's. I think the neck is a little bit warped or something, but I still play it a little bit. Um, let's talk about the basses that you're playing now. Uh, I have two main bases, um, depending on what music I'm playing. My one is a, I have a, a 75 P bass that I bought in the nineties. Um, and I love that bass. It's got, it's got a pretty kind of a mid rangey sound, but, um, you know, so I always end up having to like crank the low end on amps, but, um, but I really like that bass and, and, um, it's, it's versatile. You know, I use it for a lot of different things. And then my other main bass is a five string Alembic that, um, I got basically when Mr. Bungle made our first record and we got our first advance from Warner brothers after we paid for our record, we had some money left over and I took my share and I bought, um, I, one of the things I bought was this space. And, um, I met this guy who worked at Alembic, which is up in Santa Rosa, California. Uh-huh. And um, he took me to the factory, and I got to pick out the front piece of, of maple, and and um, I, you know, I did a few custom designs to one of their um, to one of their. Uh, it's a, a Europa is the name of the model, and but I just did a, you know, I had the headstock put on upside down, so it kind of looks like you know, like a lefty. Yeah. yeah. What about uh, amps? Um, I. I don't have a lot of amps at home anymore. Since I moved to New York, you know, you know, I um, kind of stopped carrying amps around. I do have a bag end, fifteen inch cabinet, okay. and I have um, I have a GK eight hundred head that I use sometimes. Or um, I also have a um, a uh, acoustic image uh, focus one. It's called which I use with my upright a lot. If I have to bring an amp, I'll bring yeah. my bag end cabinet and this um uh, acoustic image head which is great um actually an accordion player is the one who turned me on to acoustic image and because he was using it and um I, I ended up ordering this bass amp from them and it's great it's really tiny it's kind of like a walter woods or something it's oh, really yeah, okay. small really light um i mean you can carry it on your shoulder with your bass you know and oh nice uh, but it's it's great for upright it really my upright sounds really good through it um and, you know, if I have to, you know, ask for an amp somewhere, depending on what it is, I, you know, for like for Tomahawk or 
or bungle or any loud bands I play in, I always ask for an Ampeg, you know, um, I like the pro four, the solid states, but I also, you know, I mean, occasionally I've had a vintage tube amp that was just screaming, just so good. Do you use any strings in particular? Do you have a favorite feel type of strings gauge? Uh, I've been using, um, Diodario strings for a long time. Sorry. Sorry, Dunlop, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) that's all right, man. You use what you use. Yeah. Um, it's, that's a, that string. I, I don't know. I kind of, just honed in on years ago and just stuck with them. So I use, I usually pretty heavy gauge, like fifties. Um, and, uh, and I use those depending on what it is. If I have them on my, on my fender, I usually leave them on until I do the James Jamerson thing. And I just let them get super dead, you know? Um, I also use, sometimes I use labella strings on that bass, um, like flat wounds. Um, and that's pretty much it. You know, I don't, I kind of stopped experimenting with strings a long time ago and it's just expensive and I got it. You know, I, I, when I was in, in college or high school, probably I, you know, um, I learned from my dad how that I could boil my strings. You I know, did so that he, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I did that. And he actually taught me how to repair. If I broke a bass string, yeah. I, I, I still do it. It's a good, it, actually, it's a really good thing to know if, if for some reason you don't have extra strings and you break a string on a gig, I can repair. If it breaks at the nut, Yeah. I mean, at the, at the bridge, yeah. um, I can repair it. <laughs> oh, share, share, share the knowledge. Well, basically you just, you know, it usually breaks right on the, what do you call it? The saddle, you know? And, yeah. and so you just unwind it some more and then you pull out the core wire and make a loop and then re retie it, you know, and you got, you know, you kind of got to take the, um, I don't know what these pieces are called, but you, the little bead or whatever, Okay. You know, you got to make yeah. sure you tie that and and then um, make a little noose around it, basically, okay. uh, and it works. Life hacks. Yeah, Whichever. I should. Uh, yeah, I should. Uh, I should make a life hack. Life hack. <laughs> video. Got, what about effects, man? Um, uh, I've gotten. Uh, usually, I don't use a lot of effects, but in the past five years or so, I've kind of gotten more into them. Um, I have a. Main things I use are like distortion and and an octaver. Um, I have um, I'm I'm like you know terrible endorsing about endorsing gear because I can never remember what anything is. Got it. That's all right. But uh, well, this is a classic. I've been using a big muff. Oh wait, you can't see it unless I. That's all right. There you go. I see it. Yeah. Um, Hip hop classic. Yeah. Um. I started recently using this uh, plasma pedal, um, which is crazy. It's um, it's called a it's called a high voltage distortion unit. Who's plasma who it? pedal? Plasma. Oh, I've seen those. Okay. Yeah, it's got this weird tube inside that actually shows the voltage. It's it's kind of sick distortion it's kind of amazing now does that lose um a lot of bottom end 
No, actually it doesn't. Um, which is, that's always been my, you know, obviously with any bass player, that's kind of the main worry for a long time. I was using, I still use it. Sometimes I use a line six, um, distortion modeler, you know, the gold one. Um, and I, I like that. I mean, you know, they're kind of known for breaking and stuff and they're also big, you know, it's kind of a lot to carry around, but, um, I feel like I've gotten really good distortions out of that. And, you know, it also has EQ so you can crank the low end and, um, and kind of, you know, um, customize the distortions in there for yourself, you know? Um, and then, um, these guys actually gave me, Oh, um, dark glass electronics. Okay. Is that and, the, what's that? Uh, which one is that? The, um, it's, you know, I don't know what the, that pedal is called. Um, oh, it's all good. It's but all I good. think it's one that they actually maybe discontinued. Oh, um, okay. It's a little like overdrive unit and it's it really okay. good. So I've been using that. So the majority of the time you're using like a distortion and an octave. Yeah. And then like um, the line six has one of the, um, st- you know, one of the um, settings in it is it, there's a distortion with an octaver in it. Um, and that's cool. Cause you can, you know, you can really bring out the low end with that. And then sometimes I use that, um, the Pearl octaver. Okay. Um, that's kind of, that's an old vintage one. Um, I like that one a lot too. So those are, and then, you know, sometimes I'll use some kind of delay, whatever, simple delay you know um if if i'm doing like kind of low end sometimes i do like to do low end swell stuff like a like an orchestral bass section or oh, something yeah. so i'll use i'll use all those together i'll use distortion uh octaver and and a little delay and then i'll just do swells with my hand you know i don't use a volume pedal but um i have used a volume pedal before those are you know those are fun you know <laughs> so but awesome. most of the time you know, I just am playing bass. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need. Yeah, yeah. If there was, um, let me see, two bass lines or, <laughs> or tunes that you would recommend for, for bass players to check out, one of your own and uh, one by somebody else, what would they be? Oh, man. Um, one of my own. Um, I guess one of my favorite things that I've written um, is from the second trio convulsant record, which is that record's called sister phantom Owlfish, And there's a, there's a song on there called um, the empty glass has a name. And there's a baseline that kind of runs, it's kind of a long line. And it's, I mean, it's really, it's really a melody more than a baseline, but, and it kind of, uh, you know, has a wide range. Go, basically it goes, it's it's runs between low e up to a high g on the g string you know so it's kind of goes all over the place but awesome. but i but i i do like that i like the shape of it and i like the melody it's i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't i almost wouldn't call it a baseline but it is a baseline so it's one of your favorite lines that's cool. yeah yeah be so, proud there you go yeah <laughs> <laughs> what about I, would, um, I wouldn't give it to a beginner and say this is a baseline but got it got it <laughs> but uh I know as soon as you said favorite, like favorite baselines, the first thing that came to my mind is, um, is the Sly Stone, Sly Stone song, uh, crossword puzzle. Oh yeah. And I'm pretty sure that's Bobby Vega playing bass on that. Um, and it's, man, it's, I've never get sick of hearing that. Very cool. Yeah. 
Right on. <laughs> so outside of music, what brings you joy? You know, going to museums. I like checking out art. Um, I went, actually, I had a birthday recently and I spent. Happy birthday. First, thank you. Um, I spent the first part of the day just by myself. I went to a museum and I went to the Museum of Modern Art in New York and, um, you know, discovered some artists I never heard of. And I, you know, bought a big, bought a huge book of this, um, this woman, Sophie, Sophie Tauber Arp is her name. Um, um, she was like, surrealist in the early 20th century and okay. um yeah that kind of stuff brings me joy like oh wow i never heard of this artist and you know let me check this out what are they doing you know and that that kind of stuff inspires me even if it's you know a different art form i mean i'm not a painter but you know paintings inspire me for sure you know to make stuff basically <laughs> yeah man creation yeah. create yeah 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 gotta be creative very cool exactly. dude Thank you so much for jumping on here with us. Uh, yeah, yeah. Really, really appreciate you. Thank you all for listening in to the Bass Freaks podcast. I really appreciate you all. Stay healthy, spread love, spread joy, kindness, good vibes, and inspiration. And remember, you got this. Follow your path, whatever it may be, and just play. Until next time, cheers. And thank you to Dunlop for making this show possible. Make sure you check out Bass Freaks wherever you get your podcasts.